Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, the Conservative Leadership Series continues with a sit-down interview with Conservative Leadership candidate Patrick Brown. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to you. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show, here on True North. The Conservative leadership race continues to be underway. It's not actually until September that the party is going to formally select its next leader. Conservative members will be voting over the course of the summer, I think in August mainly. The ballots, as I understand, have not yet gone out. So the candidates are now campaigning exclusively to members. And uh, we've done an explainer up at tnc.news if you want to look into how the race actually works. But they do it based on a point system in which candidates have to get the most points on a ranked ballot. So oftentimes with six candidates or even more, if you look at like the 2017 leadership race, the race is decided not based on who gets the most votes on the first ballot, but how the race shakes up from there when people drop off and their votes get reallocated elsewhere. And that's just like a lengthy PSA in case you haven't been following the structure of how the conservative leadership race works. We are doing something on The Andrew Lawton Show that we did in 2020 that was very well received. We're doing the Conservative Leadership Series, which, if the name doesn't give it away, is a series of interviews with Conservative leadership candidates. Many of them we've spoken to as they announced their candidacies initially. This series is a bit different because we insist that we have to meet in person and we have lengthy discussions that run the gamut, things that they're putting forward in their platform, things they're not necessarily addressing, but a lot of members and supporters think they should, and also questions about the state of the party and Canadian politics in general. Now, we've spoken to all of the candidates in the past before we did this series, except for Patrick Brown, who had been notoriously difficult to pin down early in the race. He declined the invitation to appear at the Canada Strong and Free networking conference debate. He declined the independent press gallery debate, and he didn't agree to do an interview with me until after the membership cutoff, which was at the beginning of June. So this is my first time sitting down with Patrick Brown in the course of the race. Nevertheless, I did sit down with Patrick Brown at a coffee shop in Brampton, Ontario last week for an interview which I can bring to you now as the latest installment in the Conservative Leadership Series. Patrick Brown, thank you very much. My pleasure. So let's just start here, and it might be a bit of a a self-serving question, but you're the only candidate that I haven't spoken to in this race, and and obviously you weren't there for the, the first unofficial debate so why are why is it taking so long for us to sit down first off well the first stage of the race was uh selling memberships and uh, um it's a giant country so time was our enemy in terms of our ability to get everywhere certainly enjoyed uh, participating in the two official party debates uh, uh but glad that we could find time to, to to do this today now that the pace has uh uh slowed down a little bit You've been in provincial politics, you've been in municipal politics, you, you've been in federal politics as a, a Conservative Member of Parliament. Why the jump now to seek the leadership of the Conservatives and, and ultimately to seek the Prime Ministership of Canada? Well, I don't believe that the Liberal NDP coalition is in the best interest of Canadians. It, it is uh, dangerous, the path that we're on. Financial chaos in Ottawa, $1.3 trillion in debt. $2 billion a month in interest payments. Uh, when you're born today in, in Canada, you owe $31,000. Um, we don't have energy sovereignty. We can't even build a national energy corridor. 
Um, we've got a justice system that is broken that protects the rights of criminals more than it does um, victims. And I'm tired of seeing the Conservative Party lose. And as a big city mayor, I know how to win in the areas where the Conservative Party has been unable to win. Um, you know, we can win the popular vote, but if you don't win this, this, the seat count, you're never going to be able to form government. And fundamentally, I'm running so that we can build um, a united Conservative Party that can defeat the Liberals and get Canada back on track. We hear, I mean, this is the, the oldest line that we hear in leadership races about I'm going to deliver in the GTA, I'm going to deliver in Quebec, and, and oftentimes it doesn't materialize because we did hear that from Andrew Scheer. We did hear that from, from Aaron O'Toole, and obviously you're in a position where you are the mayor of Brampton in the, the GTA, but, but what is it specifically that would deliver the Conservatives that victory that you're promising in these areas where the party has significantly underperformed in the last two elections? Well, the last three elections. Well, a lot of people can make promises that they're going to deliver in an area or hope to deliver in an area and hope to get elected in an area. Um, I actually do. I, I'm a living example of someone who gets elected in an area of the, of the country where the Conservatives got blown out. And so it's a very different example with, with my candidacy. Uh, I won provincial by-elections in places the Conservative Party had no business winning from uh, Scarborough Rouge River to Sault Ste. Marie. I've won municipally in Brampton that has five liberal seats. And so it, it, this is not aspirational. Um, I have shown the federal party how we can win in areas like this. Is it about strategy or is it about policy? It's about being able to communicate that um, the values of voters who have not traditionally supported the Conservative Party are actually Conservative values, that uh, their values are our values. And a great example would be religious freedom. I view religious freedom as uh, a Conservative value, frankly a Canadian value. And I look in recent years and we have failed to communicate that. I look at the example of Bill 21 in Quebec where the Conservative Party in the last election sat on the sidelines. Prominent Conservatives that refused to take a position or worse, said they wouldn't um, challenge a, a bill that was egregious and wrong. The notion that you can't um, wear an article of faith and be a government worker is inconsistent with the Charter Protected Rights of Religious Freedom. There is an example of a conservative value, and it was Stephen Harper who created the uh, Office of the Ambassador of Religious Freedom, where we went around the world to lecture on the importance of religious freedom where we talked about persecuted religious communities around the world, whether it's Yazidis in Iraq, whether it is Asmalis in Afghanistan, whether it's the Ahmadiyya community. There's examples of communities where we've really been the party to said Canada is a land of freedom. Um, and so I believe there is an incredible opportunity for the Conservative Party if we can not only be the party of fiscal discipline and energy sovereignty and um, law and order, but to be the party that doubles down on, on religious freedom. How do you square that message, which is appealing to people of faith, with comments that I still hear complaints about from social conservatives, uh, from your book calling them dinosaurs and uh, flip-flopping on your initial opposition to the Kathleen Wynne sex ed curriculum? Uh, these things that still, years later, are very sore for social conservatives who, who form a significant chunk of the conservative movement in this country. Well, let me say, first of all, I think all um, perspectives are important in the conservative family. And um, you know, I re regret the choice of words to, to um, uh, describe that segment of the conservative family. I would note um, that I think there's a lot of 
really good ideas that comes from social conservatives. And although I've been clear... Like what? What ideas? Yeah, so let me say, starting point, I've been clear that I'm not going to revisit um, uh, the abortion debate. But having said that, um, I look at making adoptions easier that Dr. Leslie Lewis has talked about. A full support for that. I've, I've, in my provincial platform in Ontario, I included conscience rights for for physicians, um, and so yeah, the Conservative Party is is a big tent party, and I believe there needs to be a place for all types of conservatives in our in our conservative um, family. One of the challenges we've seen in this race, I'll talk about the convoy as, as one example. Jean Charest, one of your competitors, was booed for calling it an illegal blockade. You've had other of your competitors that have been jumping over each other talking about who was a bigger supporter of it. This has been a fairly divisive issue in in Canadian politics and in conservative politics. What's your view not only of of that chapter in in Canada, but also of how you keep these two very different visions that exist within the party from uh, devolving into very bitter attacks? Mm Well, first of all, I want to say congratulations on your on your book. Thank you. I'm looking forward to to reading that. Thank you. I know leadership campaigns are spirited. Um, they're they're certainly not for the faint of heart. And you know, when I look at the convoy topic, um, let's start off by what we agree on. And what we agree on is it was long it was long overdue to to get rid of mandates. Uh, I believe that. The spirit of the convoy was to end mandates um, at a point in the country where it didn't make sense. Um, the science and the data had clearly evolved. The um, severity of the pandemic had extremely um, diminished, and it really felt like Justin Trudeau was holding on to mandates really for political purposes. He had taken a position in the federal election that was uh, about dividing Canadians at a time when many Canadians were still worried, and so. The essence of, of the convoy movement um, about, about ending mandates was correct. Where I think um, there was errors was, you know, I look what happened at the Ambassador Bridge. Um, and as conservatives, we can never support um, blockades because if we allow blockades to be permitted in one instance, how do we go about in saying that a blockade um, on a on a pipeline is wrong. I, I think we need to be consistent. We support the the, the rule of law, and um, I know Premier Ford took some criticism for the way that he dismantled the protest at the Ambassador uh, Bridge. But I'm glad he did because um, you know I look at our Fiat Chrysler plant in Brampton and the economic repercussions from that bridge being closed was devastating, and, and, it, and it could cost us jobs. Um, having said that, I looked at the way Justin Trudeau handled the protest uh, in Ottawa, invoking the Emergencies Act. Uh, there was no basis for that. It was an overreach um, and, uh, and, and, and was wrong. We've had some movement, of course, in lifting the vaccine mandate for air and rail travel in this country, but still you've got restrictions like the mask mandate in place, uh, the vaccination requirement for tourists coming into this country. And the one that I think a lot of people are very frustrated about is the vaccine mandate for federal civil servants. Would would all of those, or, or if not, which of those would be gone if you were Prime Minister right I, now? I would end all the mandates. Um, Public servants back to work? Back to work. And, and you know, look what's happened at the airport. You know, I, I know they're, they're doing a partial change of the rules. But we still have, and I get regular briefings from Pearson Airport. Obviously, um, Brampton is one of the key municipalities affected by, by Pearson. Um, we have a 1,000 staff right now that are off because of their vaccination status. A 1,000 staff let go um, 
that at a time we have acute staffing shortages at, at Pearson. That is um, unconscionable what's happened. And it's, you know, we're, we're hosting the largest tech conference, one of the largest tech conferences in the world, and people coming in ready to make major investment in the GTA, and they see chaos in our airports. This is embarrassing for, for our country, and, and frankly, is going to damage the reputation uh, of the GTA. Listen, I'll tell you about the approach I took in Brampton. In Brampton, you know, I um, took a different approach than most big cities. Yes, I encouraged everyone to get vaccinated. I got vaccinated and I got boosted. Um, a lot of cities told employees that if they didn't get vaccinated, they'd be fired. That was quite common amongst big cities. I sat down with my uh, labor unions in Brampton, the, the firefighters, the police, the transit union, the QP, and I said, listen, there is a movement across the country uh, to um, have a vaccine mandate where if you don't get vaccinated, you get fired. And I said, I want to work collaboratively with you. Um, why don't we try a different approach? If I get you the information from public health and from our infectious disease doctors, will you share it with your membership on the basis that no one gets fired? And we took that position. No one got fired. One of the few big cities in the country where not a single employee got fired based on their vaccination status. There was actually employees in other cities that got fired because of their vaccination status that got hired in Brampton um, during the pandemic. Um, and I'm proud of the position we took. And you know what's really interesting? We actually had a higher vaccination rate than some of the cities that fired people based on not getting vaccinated. So I, you know, I'm a big believer on the collaborative approach rather than the baseball bat approach. And unfortunately, I think quite often during this pandemic, it was the baseball bat um, uh, approach that was used. And I'm a big believer in transparency and providing as much information as possible. And I think if you're transparent with the public, you get better buy-in. It's when you're not transparent that I think you lose, you lose goodwill. And, and one issue that I'll, I'll give you an example that we spoke about on your show before the leadership was the hospital data. Mm -hmm. You know, I challenged the hospital data um, because I heard about 50% of the COVID cases being incidental. And, you know, that gets out. That's the, the with COVID yeah. versus the of COVID. Exactly. You go into the hospital, you break your arm. Um, and you find out you had COVID. You're not in, in the hospital being treated for COVID, but governments were using misleading COVID data to justify lockdowns. And you'll, you'll remember, it was the call from Brampton that I started that led to the retooling of how COVID data was reported in the country. Um, and so it, I think the reason that there was such skepticism of government, and distrust of government, was examples like that, where misinformation was intentionally pushed to the public to justify decisions that were unpopular. So if we look then at the pandemic track record of, of the Liberals, you're saying that it's, you know, it's long past time that these mandates should have been gone. Do you think there was ever justification for vaccine mandates at the federal level? So, you know, I... I'm not a big fan of mandates. Um, I think um, it is, it's not the collaborative approach. Um, and, and I think it could have been done differently. I think you could have encouraged, um, you, you could have encouraged vaccines. Um, you could have encouraged um, opportunities to hear from infectious disease doctors and public health. I, you know, I, I just don't believe firing someone based on a personal health choice is ever um, appropriate. I, I think it, it, it breached um, legal rights and, and collective agreements. We have right now a campaign that's still in its infancy in some ways. The membership cutoff has just ended. 
a couple of weeks ago, but your website doesn't have a platform. You don't have policy. I know you put out a couple of press releases over the course of this race that have taken positions on, on various things. But, but if a voter is looking at you, what is it specifically that you're offering? Because it's one thing to go around the country and sell out memberships, which is important in a leadership race, but what's the actual vision that you're offering to conservatives and to the country? Well, I'm going around the country. I think I've been to, I've been to every province and two territories giving that speech about what I aspire um, to do for Canada, how I aspire to lead the Conservative Party. Um, my launch speech that speaks to that is, is on my uh, website. It's why um, I was pleased to participate in both official party debates where I answered uh, every question that they asked of us on every policy topic. It's why I'm pushing for a third official debate because I enjoy those opportunities to be accountable for where we stand on, on, uh, on the issues. In terms of the platform that I like to run in the next election, I'm going to share a lot of ideas of the type of policy that I'd like to run on over the course of this second stage of the leadership race. So you'll hear lots of different policy suggestions come from our campaign, but I would say um, it's important um, that when we build our platform for the next election that we do as a party, and that we have a policy consultation process that is in-depth, and we make sure that every quarter of the party, um, every corner of the country is involved in that process. I know when you were the leader of the Ontario PCs, you had a, a very member-driven approach to your platform that ultimately you, you unveiled. And, and I know at the federal level, one area where you have taken a position that diverges from the party policy is on moving the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. Now, I'll let you speak to that issue specifically, but, but I was hoping you could also touch on where are the things where you think the members are in the driver's seat and where are the things that you as the leader will come in and say, this is my position and, and it's important that we get behind this as a party? So I would say um, in terms of where I think Anything that goes against the Charter of Rights, um, fundamental rights of Canadians, um, um, would be a line in, that, that I couldn't um, go past. So if uh, there was a party membership uh, vote that said we're going to infringe religious freedom, or language rights, or you know, that's not something that, that I can support. I believe in our Charter, I believe in the rule of law in our country. Do you think the um, party would vote for something? No, okay. no, I don't. I don't. It's so, just illustrative. You, I wanted to make that you clear. You wanted an example. Absolutely. No, no, I, uh, I have faith in our in our, our party membership. In terms of moving the embassy, um, you know, I remember when Stephen Harper was our prime minister, um, he was clear he was not moving the embassy. And I think what um, Stephen Harper, Prime Minister Stephen Harper, understood was at the end of the day, Canada wants to see a successful peace process, and anything that takes us further apart, um, further away from the peace process, um, is not helpful. And uh, you know, I. Um, continue to take on the same position that the Conservative government did when they were in office, that moving the embassy um, uh, would not be helpful at this time. You have talked about the idea of the party being unified. I, I also make sure to get all the emails from all the campaigns, and I, I've seen, I don't have an exact number, but a lot of references to Pierre Polyev in, in your emails. And I mean, obviously contrast is important. Campaigns are going to be running against each other. You've also said that you wouldn't run as a Conservative candidate if Pierre Polyev were, were the leader. Why go negative this early, and, and why him? Why, why is Pierre Polyev as a figure so objectionable to you that you would devote so much of the oxygen of your campaign towards him? Well, I think Pierre Polyev's campaign set the tone. You know, when I launched my campaign, the first thing they did was launch a, a, an attack ad uh, um, 
you know, they've done that with not just myself, but other uh, candidates in, in this race. And I think that's the tone that, that they set. You know, I, I grew up playing hockey, and if you get body checked, you're going to body check back. Um, I would prefer more of a collegial approach, um, but, uh, um, you know, our approach is that, uh, you know, if, if, if they're going to um, attack um, and malign, it's not going to go unanswered. You've got a filing deadline coming up for municipal election if you wanted to run for re-election in Brampton, and, and that deadline, as I understand, is before when the Conservatives will elect their leader. So how do you navigate that? Because obviously it's, it's no guarantee that you'll be the leader. Do you seek re-election as Mayor of Brampton in the meantime? Well, you know, listen, I've um, been clear. My only goal is to run for the Conservative leadership. It's not something I'm entertaining at this point, uh, um, returning to municipal politics. What I, what I did say um, was, you know, I want to see the Conservative Party successful in the next election. And I gave an honest assessment. Um, you know, I think if you look at the campaigns that have a chance of success in this leadership, and I look at um, Leslin Lewis or Jean Charest and Pierre Polyev, you know, I know the work that Dr. Leslin Lewis has done in the GTA. I was a volunteer with her in Scarborough um, for a, a long period of time, and I think she understands the heavy lifting that's required to win in suburban Canada. And I said I would run under uh, her leadership if I wasn't successful. Um, you know, I believe Jean Charest has had a history of winning in suburban Canada. He certainly did in, in Montreal. Um, and I said I would run if he was successful. Um, I gave an honest answer. Maybe uh, people aren't used to honest answers when you, when you have interviews. Uh, um, I was asked uh, on a national TV program if I would run if Pierre Polyev was successful. And I, I gave an honest assessment that um, I saw what happened in the last two elections. And it's the same old, same old approach. Um, then I'm not interested in being part of a losing campaign, even though you know I, I know I have a, a high standing here as, as mayor of Brampton. I just don't think um, electoral success um, is possible under uh, more of the same. Um, it, we really need to have a, a conservative party that understands we need to bring all Canadians together, particularly um, in a multi-faith, multicultural setting. One of the big challenges the Conservative Party has always gone through is this pull between two sides, one that says we need to be more moderate to win and the other side that says we, we need to go back to our roots. And you touched on this a little bit earlier by talking about a lot of communities where they, they do have conservative values that are shared by Canadians. But, but ultimately, when you're looking at the country that you want to see and, and the Conservative Party that you want to see, you're still of the mind that there is a future for the Conservative Party in this country. But I get the sense you don't think in its current form. That's the case. You no, know, I, I think we need to go back to um, the best moments in the Conservative Party. And the best moments of the Conservative Party are when we stand up for every Canadian. And if, if one group of Canadians is attacked, we're all attacked. So let me point to um, moments in Conservative Party history I think reflected that. You look at um, John Diefenbaker writing the Bill of Rights, clearly understanding that he wanted to protect the equality of all Canadians. You look at Brian Rudy fighting apartheid in South Africa, uh, clearly showing that a Conservative Party had no tolerance for racism of any kind. You know, I look at uh, how um, Stephen Harper did the um, apology with Senator Victor O for uh, the Chinese head tax, uh, um, the recognition of the errors of residential schools and the mistreatment of Indigenous Canadians. Those are examples of where you've seen great Conservative leaders stand up for all aspects of the Canadian family. And so what I'd like to see um, to make sure we're successful in, air, in the multicultural mosaic that is suburban Canada 
a very clear position that we have no time, no space, no oxygen for hate of any kind, whether it's Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, racism, um, whether it's Hindophobia, Sikophobia, anti-Asian hate. Um, I, I want to I build a Conservative Party that really sends a clear message that every Canadian is welcome in our family. The government uses those, the Liberal government uses those phobias you've cited as justification to go after, well, to, frankly, to go after free speech. I mean, we've seen this in, in the bill that's been put forward uh, in the last legislature, C-36, on uh, restoring uh, Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act, which the former Conservative government repealed. Do you feel that that's an accurate representation, that the Liberals are going after free speech? So I think, I think it's important not to fall for Liberal traps. And the Liberals want to be able to paint a Conservative Party that is intolerant and not inclusive. Um, and so it's very important for Conservatives not to fall for those traps, for the Conservative Party to very clearly outline it doesn't matter who you love, where you're born, the color of your skin, what God you worship, everyone is welcome in our party and, and we're going to rally behind every Canadian to have, have success. And so absolutely um, I support free speech and I don't support any diminishment of free speech. I think the Liberal Party has had a track record of trying to uh, curtail free speech. We see that with what they're trying to do with the internet right now. But I would say the one caveat on, on, on free speech is um, it, it doesn't include um, inciting hate against, against other Canadians. So let me just be very specific then. Section 13, which the former Conservative government, uh, when you were a, a member of Parliament, abolished, the Liberals want to bring that back. Would you vote for or against that? So I, I support uh, free speech. And so um, my position remains the same and the position that we took in the Conservative Party that uh, um, you know, we, we don't support uh, the diminishment of free speech that uh, we've seen under under Justin Trudeau. So, moving forward, how do you, if you're successful as a Conservative leader, work against the current that typically is working against Conservatives? Uh, you know, we've seen the media smears, you've, you've seen this firsthand and you've talked about this. How do you push back against that and, and get the Conservatives to break out of what tends to be the story of Conservative campaigns? So I don't think some of those attacks would be successful against my candidacy because on a, on a lot of these um, liberal traps, uh, I've been on the on the right side of, of history. Um, and I'll give you an example. Um, you, know, you look at Doug Ford's success um, in uh, the recent provincial election across the GTA. Um, you know, he made it very clear on a lot of these liberal traps that uh, the Conservative Party would stand for equality. So let me give you one example. Islamophobia. Islamophobia, you know, my position is clear. Hate against any faith is wrong. Hate against the Jewish faith, hate against the Muslim faith, hate, hate against the Christian faith, hate against any faith is egregious. And, you know, in the provincial legislature, when the Liberals wanted to trap the Conservatives on a vote to condemn hate against Muslims, the provincial Conservatives didn't fall for it. But federally, they fell for it. And it became an issue that really rallied support against the federal Conservative Party. We need to be smarter as a conservative family. Do not fall again and again for these liberal traps. We're the party of religious freedom. We're the party that will stick up for every Canadian. I would just ask you in closing then, Patrick, because when you're talking about those liberal traps, what the liberals are doing is, is trapping the conservatives both ways. If you vote for it, you're saying that the liberals are the ones that are setting the tone on this. And if you vote against it, you're allowing them to be branded. So. Is the correct response not to expose these traps and say we're not going to play that game? I think the correct approach is to, is to call out hate wherever you see it. 
And so when I see examples of hate and bigotry and intolerance, I call it out. I don't need to be told to call it out by the Liberal Party. It's my natural inclination. So let me give you an example. You know, recently um, I read um, an article that was derogatory towards Senator Victor O, who helped write the Chinese head tax uh, apology with Stephen Harper, a citizen of the year in Mississauga, um, highly recommended by Mayor Hazel McCallion. And just because you know, he's from Singapore, but because his, his grandparents were from China, there was some anti-Chinese bigotry directed to him. And so my natural inclination is not to wait um, and, uh, and allow that attack to stick. I wrote an uh, uh, opinion piece in the paper defending anti, attacking anti-Asian hate like I would condemn any form of hate. And if there is a church being burned down, if there's a synagogue being attacked, if there is a, an attack on a masjid, I will stand up against any hate in any form because I, I want to create a Canada where everyone is able to practice their faith free from fear and intimidation. And uh, I think it's important to have zero tolerance. I want the Conservative Party to lead on these issues, not be a follower. Patrick Brown, thank you very much. My pleasure. That was my interview with Brampton Mayor and Conservative Leadership Candidate Patrick Brown as part of the Conservative Leadership Series here on The Andrew Lawton Show. That is the second part of the series. Last week, we kicked it off with my interview with Jean Charest, and in the next installment, we'll have my conversation with Roman Baber. But we'll get through all six candidates in the next few weeks. So thank you very much to those of you who are tuning in. If you want to support this series, please do head on over to donate.tnc.news and chip in a few dollars if you can to cover the video costs, the travel costs, and whatnot, and make sure that we can keep bringing this to you to help you be better informed about the candidates seeking your vote, uh, whether you're a Conservative member or not, because remember, whoever wins is going to be seeking your vote in a general election in a couple of years as well. So uh, that's the pitch. We will see you next time. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.